You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Donald Sultan. Donald, thanks so much for being with me today. Well, thanks for asking me. Donald, I'd like to talk about your work, and, and of course, um, we could jump into your rich history, but, but to, to begin with, what's happening in your studio now? We're talking on March 23rd in 2022. Hopefully, we're, we're on the exit from this pandemic. Um, what's happening in your studio? I know you're in Tribeca now. Yeah, well, what I've been working on now for, for some time are a series of paintings that I are based on mimosa, uh, the plant. So it, they're kind of more hand-done pictures with circles, and uh, some, the, the newest ones are yellow. The other ones can be blue or, or berries of some kind, but they're, they're abstract. So they're just come off of the idea of mimosas. And uh, it kind of came to me when I was in the south of France. Uh, someone sent me a little little envelope of yellow mimosas in February in New York. And I figured the south of France, they were growing. And in, in, around Nice, up in the mountains, they were just a blaze of yellow mimosas. And uh, I thought they were just charming. But I didn't really think of them until maybe 10 years later when I was doing a lot of different images, I was using kind of uh, the floral image. I'd gone from hand-painted to more or less uh, lacquered uh, painting so that the, the, the hand wasn't that visible in the flower. And they were put up against backgrounds of flocking and uh, modernist paintings. For example, I would do Broadway boogie-woogie with a button, we call button-down, so there's a big black button right over it implying that modernism could also be shirts. And the buttons were, were manufactured. They weren't uh, growing. They weren't really a realistic view of flowers, which I had sort of stopped doing for some time. I'd made more or less hard emblematic flowers based on the uh, poppies that people wear during Veterans Day. And I did a number of poppy drawings and then a number of poppy paintings. And uh, for me, it was also a question of, you know, what, what is the symbolism of the word poppy? In addition to the fields of Flanders, you had Veterans Day of World War One, which is what that represented. You had the poppies in the Wizard of Oz. And then, of course, it's a play on the word pop. So... I used all these things, but they were basically abstracted somewhat in the way of my earlier uh, black lemons and black eggs. They'd be black flowers, but they weren't. They were highly polished lacquer paint. And uh, then I decided that I would move off of that. I'd been making drawings of these poppies uh, with charcoal, and I tried to make them as a painting. And it's, it's difficult to translate sometimes the drawings into paintings because the drawings are made with a powdered charcoal and are more or less a furry, industrial, gritty use of uh, the image to make of flower petals. And I had uh, rounded dots buried in there. And um, so to make them bigger, I had to figure out a way to do it. And I tried a couple of different things. And, of course, the first one you do when you finally finish it is really the best one in a way in the beginning because I have a theory that you can't go wrong if you don't know what you're doing. So it like came that. out really beautifully, and I uh, started working on it. 
and expanding on the ideas. And I've been doing a lot of that now. It's been a couple of years I've been working with that set of images. They're on a, a kind of lacquered uh, background or paint covered uh, masonite. So instead of putting linoleum on there and cutting them out like I did before, I just do it right on the paint. There's no linoleum involved anymore. But I use tar still, and the latest ones are sort of a cement flower. So it's still industrial. It's still more or less building. But the, uh, there's a flow, and there's a kind of uh, in, more or less free-flowing use of the flower image itself or the bud. And that's what I've been doing now. And I haven't varied from that really for quite maybe a year and a half or so. And so the mimosa, that that plant, as a, as opposed to the poppy, also has its own symbolism, right? The poppy seems pretty pretty loaded with some of those references, right? As you were yeah. saying, World War II, Wizard of Oz, and and yeah. and, and pop, and in particular, and um, opium too, <laughs> right? And opium, of course, right? Uh, the mimosa, though. What, I, I don't know a lot about that plant. Um, I, I think of the drink, of course. What are the symbols yeah, of the No, it's just a, it's just a, a, a little round, delicate uh, bud. It's, a, like, it's not a berry quite because it's a little bit fuzzy. So the first ones I did, I used flocking for the, for the sort of bud itself, the flower itself. And it's a lot of greenery. You know, in a way, it's like a holly bush without the stickers. So it's a lot of greenery covered with uh, these little yellow or white sort of berries that are furry. And they're very delicate and very, very beautiful and interesting. But these are hard-edged and they're not fuzzy anymore. I'm taking that off of the, the equation. I've used the, I'm trying to use more or less the, the leaves themselves are the more gestural and uh, painted. And the buttons can be more or less, I mean, the, the flower buds themselves are, either reveals the white underneath or uh, I'll use blue stickers, which will go with it, and now I'm, and paint a few uh, in there. Like I did a number of them with, with the called uh, green, you know, mimosa with anomaly. There would be like one red berry. The latest ones I've done are with yellow, uh, black, yellow paint, and uh, you see a lot of the drawing underneath it, and then it's, the leaves are cement, so... It's kind of an interesting way to use an abstraction, but I call them mimosas. They they don't really they're not accurately drawn as mimosas, but it's more or less like if, if you jumped into a big bush of them, and that's what you saw. And the, and the work in some, it's the cement. How how does that um, how does that process work? You're working on masonite. You're working with different materials, yes. but now you're also making um the leaf or the or the flower itself in in cement how, how does that well the leaf the leaf is well it's it's a it's i use a kind of caulking for sidewalk repair so it's more or less exactly like using the tar which was a, a black asphalt roof repair these are uh, kind of a liquid that comes out of a tube but it dries like cement and that's what i've been using it for so it has a very delicate look, but if you come right up to it, it has a real monumental kind of hard look to it. And it's just it's like, again, the first one I did was great because, like, you know, you've heard my motto. So now I'm working on sort of expanding the language of the first one to see how that goes. Each painting tells me what to do next. I don't really ever 
plan out to do a lot of the same thing. I just start with something and it goes, and it will go in whatever direction the paintings tell me to do it, and then it will tell me to stop when it's time to stop. Well, for the current ones, are these are these are sounds like smaller works you're making now, or when, no. when one speaks to the other, are, are we talking about like larger scale work, or how does scale work when, as you say, kind of one speaks to another or tells you what to do next? Well, I've been using the in, in general the uh, mimosas are horizontal. For most of my career, I only use square. Uh, so now I'm starting to use horizontal, which is basically the same geometric things of one-inch tiles, but instead of doing it six by six or eight by eight, they're four by eight or three by six or six by eight. So now they're they're landscape shape, you know, they're horizontals. And I haven't done the biggest ones, you know, which would be eight by twelve or something like that, but. I've been very comfortable right now with six by eights and four by eights. They're just—I just like doing them, and they have a, the kind of uh, monumental power I want from a painting without having to build a gigantic uh, structure for it. The structures are pretty contained, self-contained. And 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 you're working on these alone, or do you also have assistants that are helping you build? No, I have a, I have assistants help me. I I. Uh, do the drawings and the, the placement of the dots on the paintings. And then we'll use Frisket. Well, first we paint in the colors if we're going to paint colors. And sometimes we use uh, sticker dots that cover it. So if I want to have white, white revealed, which is the color underneath. I mean, it's kind of hard to describe this and for anybody to really imagine it. They'd have to go on the website or go on um, my name on Google and look for the mimosas. There's a lot of them on there. But... Uh, and then I'll do the drawing. We'll put frisket on it, which is a kind of sticky stop out, you know, more or less, more or less like what people would use to paint stencils. And uh, on top of that, I'll draw the leaves. And then the studio assistants will cut them out with little exacto knives, so that a lot of it's protected, but the parts that's cut out is, is free for the for the material to go over it. And that, that's basically how it's done. I've always used the two things. I've always used some hard edge and some expressive edges moved together. And uh, especially in the early works when I would cut out the image, it would be more or less hard edge on the edges, but the inside would be, could be quite chaotic. So that's sort of what makes a painting work is a combination of uh, guts and paradox. Guts and paradox. I like that a lot. And, um, and so the paradox here is um, is really in the materials. I mean, and I'd love to talk about guts and paradox specifically. The the paradox is the is the materials or the forms that that are are being. Well, rendered. there's two things. You have the structure of the paintings, which is the same as I've always used, which is a kind of uh, very severe, very strong uh, platform, basically up on the wall. You have uh, pretty big edges with gas pipes holding them away from the wall so you can look into the architecture and things behind it. And so you have a very strong uh, architectural structure. And yet the image is uh, uh, mimosa, which is very ephemeral and very light. And then contrasting paint to cement or tart or rubber to things like that to be leaves, you have uh, a kind of dialogue between the structure 
the image and the way that the image is portrayed. So they all kind of uh, argue with each other. And the guts, the guts that um, that are required. Well, the guts is the nerve to, to make these things and not back off. I mean, it, they're pretty yeah. different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, different. Well, I mean, you've worked in similar in similar ways before. They they are different, but this is um, um, this fits in with with how you've been working in the past, doesn't it? Or or, yes. or no? Yeah. Yes, it is. I mean, I'm familiar with the materials, and, but they're um, still and, and, basically, you know, not necessarily fine art materials, more or less. The paint I use is for sign painting and. Uh, detailing in buildings and paint and then the uh, tar is for the roof and the cement is for the sidewalk. So you basically have the same attitude toward paint that I've always had, which is it's another industrial product. Yeah, that's 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 so interesting to me because I've I've always um, admired your work for the for the surfaces and the and and, and, and the imagery and, and, and things you're talking about, but also the idea of um, of these materials, these construction materials, which, which I've used as a, as, as someone who's who's worked in construction, and um, and how kind of ugly these materials are to to, to most people, tar and, and things like that 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 just seem not only um, not not attractive in, in most ways, but also very unstable, and and yet you've turned them. I suppose, as you're saying, just like paint, but I don't see paint as industrial in quite the same way, although I. I know you use it that way, but that these these materials, these industrial materials, become become delicate and 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 beautiful under your touch. They're they're transformed somehow. It it seems to me, or that's how it's always struck me. Yeah, that's just how it struck me too. I find them beautiful, really. I think tar is beautiful, but you know, it's an old material for painting. You know, tar has been used in Flemish painting and French painting, and you know. The the raft of the Medusa's loaded with it. That's called bitumen in French. But uh, you know, there's that again. It doesn't dry, and uh, they have to every now and then turn the thing upside down for a while to let it settle, because it sort of slowly moves. It's alive. So is that is that what has to happen? But to mine isn't they like have that. To be no, turned, because or, or no, they, no, mine yours, yours is more stable, right? Yeah, mine is basically uh, 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 rubber based is what the tar is that I use. It's mixed for roof repair and stuff, and it's uh, it's flexible. And depending on how the, the companies make it, it changes, the, 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 the formula, I guess, changes every now and then. But there was a period when it was almost like chewing gum when it dried. And then, of course, it became, when I was using it earlier on in the disaster paintings, early on, it would give forth, when I would work with it, it would give off uh, sepia, the, the seepage of the, the tar into the painting, which gave that smoky kind of uh, swirly, uh, almost Turner-esque look to the painting. But then about midway in the 80s, it switched and it came, became kind of gray and gummy. And so I had to work with it that way, too. I figure, you know, it's, I, the, the material is what it is, so I have to I adapt to the material. I don't uh, try to fake it anyway 
<laughs> yeah, because the material <laughs> itself keeps changing. There's also an endless yeah. dialogue with the material, right? Because as you're saying, the industrial manufacturers, I mean, unlike some paints, but maybe those are more for artists, but the, the manufacturers themselves are changing the recipe for what you use. They do. Well, for example, with the early drawings I did, the black lemons and the black tulips, uh, there was a, a the, the cray the charcoal I used was the, a Charbonnet, which they don't make anymore, and there's nothing that's been ever like that. So when I still make charcoal drawings, I do it in a different way, and also the fixative that I used to use was much better than the ones you can get today, and a lot cheaper. So I had to adapt and find a fixative that would hold the, the powder down and together because I do the drawings so that the they're actually powder in a way, and then they're fixed that way. They're not just drawn in and shaded and pushed in there. I use the powder to make the edges not necessarily hard, but to make them softer. And the density of the old black was unbelievable. It's just it's not there anymore. But I do get quite a nice black now, but it's, not, it's just different. You have to adapt to it. And so well, that's Tom interesting Crayon, because blacks do change. There's a, there's a dense black and there's a dense black, right? Blacks can really be like kind of a black hole when they're yeah. – I think Amish Kapoor was talking about that, right, or using a certain kind of black. But, um, you know, is, is the black itself becomes what? Less, less dense? That's so, that's so kind of curious to talk about the, the different types of black because some are really uh, – are like black holes. It's almost like an illusion. Yes, well, the the original black lemons that I made were, were etchings, the big ones. And I used the uh, aquatint the way I used uh, charcoal. I, is, I, was, I think it's one of the first uses of that ever used in, in etching. It was a new way of working with aquatint. I used it as powder to make the drawing. Most people put an aquatint on a plate and then they melt it and then they work it that way with stop outs and stuff. But I did it on, made the drawing by brushing away from the edges and so on, the powder, and then making the drawing with the powder and then melting it so that the, any leftover residue of it would just stick to the surface of the copper, but it would be the drawing, with the black would be black. And they were like, I looked at them and they were both, they were like, uh, well, you've probably seen them. They were like a, a, a compression, really, and I thought of them as socks in the eye. Because when you looked them, they really did punch you in the eye. And they were dense and they were solid and they were also a void. And the same when I used them in the paintings too. They would be a void, but they were, they were tar, so they, they didn't tend to be compressed so much as they were heavy. And so part of the paradox of those were you were doing, I was doing a natural mortar, a still life out of scale, but the images were uh, architectural. They had a, the weight of sculpture in painting, by, just by look, by the use of volume. And in a way, I always feel that way about a painting that's good, too. It seems to me that when you approach a painting, the scale of the painting should, should grip you. It should uh, uh, make you feel as if you are actually approaching a, a person or a building or a sculpture, in addition to the fact that the visual quality of it is is right there in front of you. And that's what I love about painting. I, I don't really believe any other art form does quite what painting does. It's, painting is sort of more or less a miracle. So I always try to keep that to where I get act surprised by the ending or when, when I stop, 
I get surprised by the finished work. I never know quite how it's going to be, but I know what, what I want to feel like when it's done. And part of that is also keeping a painting open-ended. It shouldn't be a closed system. So that uh, it, it has room to say, well, if you do this, you know, this, this would be a way to maybe even make this a better painting. So I'll start another painting and see if that works that way. And so far, I've been able to make quite a few. But when I run out of the ability to do that, I'll have to move to a different image. And I hope it'll tell me what image I need to use. And before we go, I want to ask you a few more questions. In the, in the past um, few years, the pandemic, which um, you know we're, we're hopefully coming out of right now, has that, has that changed your work or, or changed your mobility between studios? Has it, has it impacted the, the work you've done in terms of materials or, uh, or content? Well, I made a series of drawings of uh, more or less COVID flowers, I called them, which was uh, charcoal flowers or watercolor flowers, but with, black, with white, the mimosa dots more or less, just kind of in the way. They weren't any more mimosas. They were a, a, a geometric in the way of looking at the thing. And it kind of turned out to look an awful lot like the coronavirus, the flower with the dots around it. And so I made a few of those, and uh, I, I, I liked them. I thought it was a very interesting way to, to work. And uh, so I did work with that a little bit, but not that much because my work isn't really – I try to steer away from topical, uh, topical issues. Uh, when I made the disaster paintings, I made them because there was constantly disasters in somewhere in the world, and they were something that, uh, you know, may have been something as strange as the shelling of Basra during the Iraq uh, uh, war, and uh, or uh, forest fires in in, in uh, Yellowstone or firefighters in Brooklyn, you know, things that were happening all around us. But then over time, because of photography and the media, disasters uh, are, that's all you see. So I didn't feel like I had much to add to that. So I kind of quit making those. But I am making some small paintings, which I consider little disaster paintings. They're, they're very small. They're like, oh, three inches by six or eight inches or maybe four inches by five inches, something like that. And they're of, of like dead bees, dead whales, dead birds, you know, things that are happening around us that are ominous. And uh, so I'm and, doing and that. how are those like made? How, I'd love to hear more about it, just a, a little bit more about those. How are those very small ones They're the made? same you way. They're, the these same are way. But paintings, you're using tar, you're yeah. using a yeah. variety of materials? Yeah, I take the, the, these I still have a little tile sometimes and I'll, I'll cover it with tar, and then I'll carve out the image and, uh, you know, put some plaster in there some, and then paint in there a little bit. But usually, mainly I use the, the, the color of the tar to make the uh, image itself. Uh, of course, with the dead bees, I had to add a little yellow, you know, but uh, I mean, the, the whole dead bee thing is a catastrophe, frankly, and that's something that I thought these kind of things were, were little things that weren't the, the kind of things people were paying that much attention to, but the latest one I'm working on is a series of dead horses because of the droughts, and so you see horses' carcasses on the ground. And uh, 
these kinds of things, you know, in a way they they deal with climate change and man's effect on the climate, but without being too didactic. It's just, why don't you think about this for a minute? So that's kind of something I've been into. Cigarettes. I've done a bunch of those and smoke. I've, I've done a bunch of those kind of images. I sometimes vacillate so it's, between. So that is almost an extension of the disaster. Uh, <laughs> yes, painting. it is. I consider them to be disaster still lives more or less little disasters but big you know making them big would be a little bit too much of a brick bat right right that would yeah, be it's a, one of the things like i'm i i've been following this thing and of course everybody has the war in uh, ukraine you know but uh i'm probably not going to make any kind of poster or print or painting about that in fact, I think that we got enough information with that. I, I, there's nothing to add to that. When I did the uh, show that was traveling of the disaster paintings, I, I had the, you know, my, the painting I did of Auschwitz, which was made you know, in Auschwitz 80, 1982. It wasn't Auschwitz uh, at the time. It was the, the, fact, the painting was really made where they were trying to, to get it into a memorial and the Carmelite nuns were there and they didn't want to leave and they had to force them out of there. But... I had to show up in Texas, and a man came up who was the consulate from Germany, and he was really upset by this painting. And he said, why did you pick that painting? And I said, well, it's kind of obvious, really. And he said, well, why don't you have one of Aleppo? And I said, well, there wasn't a problem with Aleppo in 1982. And uh, perhaps if I was to uh, go back and revisit the disaster paintings, I might consider it, but you have enough to do with Aleppo now. There's nothing really I could add to that. So, I don't know. It's just funny how people respond to these things. Yeah, it is. I'm glad you, you, you added that. that um, it is kind of funny how people, how people respond. They really do. Like, what, <laughs> why did you pick um, that? Well, you know, why not? It was a disaster, wasn't it? <laughs> well, because you're the artist and you can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, I can. I can, but if it seemed to fit, you know. Um, I want to ask you one last question, which is what are you, it's a little off topic, but what are you reading at the moment? I'm reading a book called Son of the Morning Star, which is about uh, Custer and Little Bighorn. It's an amazing book. Donald, I want to thank you so much for talking with me today. I appreciate your time and your work. There's links here, of course, so people can see many of the things we're discussing. Uh, thanks so much for talking with me. You're welcome. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.